Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host, Sir Rob Wainwright, talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction towards commercial success and greater social impact. Our special guest is Marcia Baliciano, the founding director and global head of corporate responsibility at Relix, a multinational data and analytics company. She created and runs global corporate responsibility and is working to maximize the positive impact of the business on society. Over to you. Well, thank you, Rodney. Welcome back, listeners. Marcia, fantastic to have you today in our virtual studio. Thank you so much for for joining. Now, I've been reading about the ESG performance of your company, and you're consistently at the top of league tables in the ESG indices. Um, Tremendous performance. A credit, I'm sure, to your work as well, Marcia. What do you put your success down to? What's really driving that success for Relics? Well, Rob, thank you very much for having me. I would say that it's about walking the talk. So we need to make sure that we are looking at what are the material issues that we face as a business? What are the risks there and what are the opportunities? And how do we minimize those risks and how do we maximize those opportunities? That's really critical for us. So tell me, have you had... um how much support have you had from your board on that on that journey? Is, is how easy has it been to persuade those that are that are running the company that this is the agenda that that Relics really should be following? I think I've been very lucky that really since I joined the company, I have been engaging with the board on these issues. They have been incredibly supportive, and I would say that in the last five years, as the world has changed around us the business world um, in particular, these issues of extra financial performance, how the business does what it does, has come up higher on the agenda of a range of our stakeholders, and that has not escaped the board's attention. So as an example, uh, just before the end of last year, I produced a paper for the board on the task force for climate-related financial disclosure. They really wanted to dig into the detail. What was this all about and uh, what are we doing? Are we making sure that we are aligning with the expectation in that particular example uh, of TCFD? So uh, I'm fortunate that they are very engaged and very interested in these issues that affect a range of our stakeholders. So but why does it matter in the end for the board? Why, I mean, what, what are the sort of, uh, you know, the range of values, the, the range of outputs that the board is, is focused on here in increasing its impact on these societal issues? There isn't one stakeholder that we prioritize over another. The fact that our investors are asking more questions and they're pricing this into their value of the company is one strong thread. The fact that we know it's coming up higher on the agenda of our employees as well. Uh, They are asking us about a range of issues. Uh, They want to work for a good company. And I know because my colleagues that are involved with recruitment tell me that this is a common topic of conversation. Yes, they want to know about the job that they're going to be doing and they want to know about what 
they're going to be compensated for, but they also want to know that they are joining a company where they have the chance to make a positive impact on society. So those are two examples, but there are others in terms of how NGOs are talking with us about their expectations and also government and the requirements that they increasingly ask of us and uh, the Modern Slavery Act statement in the United Kingdom where we are listed uh, is a good example of that. So the uh, MSA Act asks companies to say how they are avoiding modern slavery in their direct operations, but also in their supply chain. And I think what's unique for us is that there's a third element of this, which is how we are also helping to inform knowledge and debate through the tools and resources that we have uh, to avoid modern slavery. Yeah, and I've I've heard uh, modern slavery is a good example about how, how, you know, improving the integrity of of supply chains, it matters, of course, because the eyes of the public are on it. That, that I guess, to use a phrase that that many apply in this case, the license to operate of firms are on the line to a certain extent. The public reputation, so it matters, particularly through the experience of 2020, of course, the pandemic and indeed other notable events, where consumers, I suppose, have become, you know, more aware and more conscious of, of, of the choices that they, they, are, they are taking in, in, in the market, I guess. So, so this license to operate, I suppose, is also part of, of the narrative here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all a package and one stakeholder is not necessarily more important than another. We need to be responsive to all of them. And I don't feel that there's a trade-off on being a good employer or adhering to government expectation or uh, being uh, responsive to our investors and what they think that we should be doing is mutually exclusive. It all rolls up into, as you say, the license to operate. Just digging into the point you made about investors, I think you're right. You know, investors are increasingly asking these questions and they're on page one of their question list, not not towards the end, um, I guess. At the same time, you know, there is still an activist investor community, if I can use that phrase, you know, that there is still gearing maybe in more traditional ways, the company towards quarterly short-term reporting, towards ensuring the pipeline of, of short-term profit making is still still very healthy. And do you in any way see that tension still um, in, in the way in which your company operates, this tension between short-term profit making and a long-term ESG-led agenda? Well, I think we have to be good at all of those things. We, we have to be profitable. If we're not profitable, then the business doesn't exist in the long term. We need to know how we are making that profit and to do that in the best way using our resources and skills and ensuring that we're doing that ethically. But I don't think that it stops us or absolves us from the responsibility of addressing the longer term issues that society faces like on the environment. So what kinds of uh, commitments can we make in terms of our in direct environmental performance? But one example, we are a founding member of something called the Responsible Media Forum, and we decided to be an early signer to something called the Climate Pact. So on the one side, the Climate Pact asks 
media companies to set science-based targets. So that needs to be a minimum threshold, which we do. But the other part is really what's relevant to this sector. And so there's uh, a requirement that you do something around the content. So that's something that we're looking at. You know, how can we continue to inform debate on environmental science and knowledge, which we feel is our best environmental impact, if you will. So ensuring that we are financially successful does not need to come at the expense of these broader issues. Indeed, some people, you know, listening to an interview with CEO of Unilever, Alan Job, you know, he, he actually goes beyond that. He says that, you know, purpose is a pathway to commercial success. And there are, and there are many CEOs, increasing numbers, increasing number of boards who take the view maybe that, that having this stronger purpose-led agenda around ESG issues, for example, actually far from representing a trade-off with your commercial fortune, actually helps to, to power it even further along. You mentioned being a talent magnet, for example, um, where investors are heading right now. So what, what's your viewpoint on that? Is, is, is it is indeed a very positive way of looking at it? Do we see that ESG-led led agendas also can, can help us drive uh, performance at the bottom line? I absolutely agree. And in thinking about our action on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, uh, 2015, every nation of the UN adopted these global goals, 17 of them. And what we decided to do is curate content from across our business. We have journals or articles or books or tools or events that we could showcase that can inform knowledge on the SDGs. And even though when we created the Relax SDG Resource Center, which is a free portal, uh, last year we had just under 90,000 unique users to the site, what we what we see is it's a kind of shop window for our content. And that may in help people who engage with that to want to learn more about you know, who we are as a business and the kind of range of products and services that we deliver to our customers, um, while we also showcase content from key partners, for example, from within the UN system. But there's stuff that we can do that's unique to us. So we made a commitment and we put our commitments in the public domain in our annual reporting on our corporate website. And we uh, align these with the SDGs. And we said last year for this uh, Relax SDG Resource Center uh, that we wanted to do some original research. Again, you know, something that is unique to us. So we work with Elsevier, which is the science side of our business. And we uh, have Science Direct, which is the world's largest uh, database of scientific information. And we use Scopus as well, which is a citations database with an analytical tool that we have called SciVal. And we looked at what is the state of knowledge underpinning the SDGs over a five-year period ending in 2019. And it's absolutely fascinating because you can think what you want, but what we need to do is help to inform uh, with, with real uh, citable data. So what we found is perhaps in some ways unsurprising that the uh, most developed nations produce the lion's share of the content, which was over 4 million uh, pieces of content over that five-year period. But what we found is that on average, less than 2% of that content is coming from low-income locations. So 
That's identifying a problem. And what we see is we need to be part of that solution. One of the ways we're trying to do that is through a program called Research for Life, where we make all the content in Science Direct available to uh, researchers either at no cost or at low cost um, in those low income locations. But we have a big focus on doing even more to address the findings of our own research. It's an interesting example. Marcia, here you have, you know, a company like your own, you're playing to your strengths by having these global capabilities on data analytics, for example, to make that wider impact. But as you say, at the same time in doing that, you know, showcasing, therefore, you know, your commercial strengths in the market. So it's a good example of, of then not having to be a trade-off um, between, you know, purpose-led agenda and, and, and commercial success as well. I, I like that example. You talk about uh, data analytics. I just wonder, you know, what the impact that that, that has on society. You gave one example. Um, at the same time, there, you know, there's talk in wider industry about, you know, some of the threats, some of the downsides to, to, to data and to the way in which it can be abused by criminals or indeed how the privacy rights of consumers sometimes are, are challenged. You know, what's your viewpoint on how data and analytics can help these, these wider societal needs? A good example is in our LexisNexis Risk Solutions Group, which is using data and analytics to fight fraud for a range of customers. They may be insurers or banks, uh, governments. We can use data to try and look for patterns within publicly available data that can identify um, crime. And we have seen, and my colleagues have uh, been very vocal in the press about uh, the rise of particularly financial crime uh, in the wake of the global pandemic. So having these kind of tools is very valuable for society because it affects me and it affects you if somebody is trying to claim our identity borrow money uh in our name that we're not aware of or do other nefarious things with our data so we need to first and foremost as we do and you'll see you know one of those objectives that we have in the public domain is around data privacy and security that always has to be foremost for a company like ours that is about data and analytics. So we need to make sure that we are protecting um, customer data and we need to have the highest levels of security um, alongside how we use that data to be able to you know, look for those patterns. But there, there definitely is an upside. An, an example would be a product like Threat Metrics, uh, which is part of LexisNexis Risk Solutions Group. And here we've been working with some fintech partners to help people get better access to credit, so financial inclusion. And this is a particularly a big issue in uh, developing countries where people may not have uh, traditional sources of credit and so lenders are less likely to lend if they don't have access to those sources. But if we can uh, have a wider range of, of data 
from which to pull information, it can increase the ability of average citizens to be able to have access to credit to buy a house or start a business or pursue education. So we have an example in Mexico of a number of pilots. And in one of those pilots, uh, we were able to turn that into a commercial venture. And those pilots are continuing as we go into 2021. So I think that's a very good example of how having a range of data and being able to uh, look into that can actually be beneficial to citizens. Are you having those discussions yourself? I'm, I'm interested how, you know, a large company like like yours, Ron, you know, you're helping to run this corporate responsibility program. And here you are talking to, you know, a huge part of of, of Relix's work right in the heart of, of your core market offering around data analytics. You're bringing this idea that they should be using, leveraging more and more of that for societal impact. Has that been a challenging discussion over the years? I mean, how, how, how does that go within, within the company? I don't think so. Um, Eric Engstrom has been our CEO for over 10 years, and I credit Eric with uh, helping us to articulate what we call our unique contributions um, to society. So our unique contributions as relics. We did soul searching. What is different about us from other companies? And uh, how can we identify those things? And then how do we increase the the ways that we are delivering those contributions. So we articulate that as universal sustainable access to information. So across four parts of the business and science and, and uh, data in business to business offerings, for example, through Flight Global or ICIS, which is for the global commodities market, or LexisNexis Legal and Professional for the legal community, or read exhibitions, uh, this is a kind of common denominator that we have. We need to have uh, access to information. We also are about promoting science and health, which maps to Elsevier, um, fighting fraud, increasing, um, reducing actually uh, uh, inequalities through risk solutions, uh, promoting the rule of law and access to justice through LexisNexis and fostering communities. So we are actually setting objectives in each one of those areas. So it's something that we've been looking at. So first it was about identifying what those things were. Then it was setting goals in those areas and being transparent to the market and saying, um, this is, these are the things that we are, are trying to achieve. As an example with LexisNexis Legal and Professional, so we're cataloging the world's laws we um, started something a few years back called Rule of Law Cafe. We thought if we um, call it a cafe and in the days when we were meeting in person, we offered something nice, uh, people would be uh, like a, a nice pastry. They would come along and be part of our conversation. And this has been incredibly uh, popular because it's a safe space where we as members of the legal community, government, our, our peers, internal colleagues can get together to talk about what does going beyond legal minimums to advance the rule of law look like? So we started in London and then we began to expand. And one of those public objectives for 2020 was 
expanding to other jurisdictions. And so we had, for example, rule of law cafes for the first time in South Africa. Absolutely fascinating to listen into those discussions, for example, on um, how uh, different companies and activists are working to um, stop gender-based violence. Uh, we also were talking about uh, rule of law issues in our first rule of law cafe that we were able to have in the Philippines. What do these issues mean in that context? So it's really about using the convening power that we have, using those knowledge and skills to bring people together um, so that we can foster engagement. Uh, one really nice example through the rule of law cafes is through uh, two attendees. One is Anglo-American and the other is um, the International law book facility and they found each other through the rule of law cafes that we had in, in London and they've been able to work together uh, ever since uh, addressing some issues in some of the markets where Anglo-American is working so uh, we love those kind of examples um, and that's what we want to continue to foster. Yeah and it's I mean they're good examples and and, and it shows maybe just how active this agenda is right through your company. And that's just not, you know, it's not just me throwing positives and acclamations towards you, you know, in, in the indices that I've been reading, you know, you are consistently scoring very highly. Fourth in the Responsibility 100 Index in the UK, I noticed recently. So all credit to you. And it's an example maybe across industry as well. It's been fascinating talking to you today, Marcia. We've come to the end of our time. Inspiring story, really, also from somebody who has so much experience in this field. Um, positive to hear that, that the agenda is taking hold. It seems to be, I think, beyond just one company. It's, it seems to be a trend across industry. And, and some of the examples you've brought today also telling us how important this is. Thank you. So the cause of responsible business is not about philanthropy. For companies, it should not be seen as a transfer payment to society, to coin a phrase used by the sceptical few. As Marcia has told us today, speaking from a position of significant strength on the subject, it's about bringing the best value for business. Relics is a top performing commercial enterprise and in the top percentile of all companies in its ESG scores. The two are not mutually exclusive, as Marcia told us. Indeed, they are increasingly seen as interdependent parts of modern commercial enterprise. For many businesses, the transition to an agenda focused more on purpose and long-term value creation is challenging. The experience of Relic shows it's not easy, but certainly possible. And the examples of many others in this industry as well demonstrate the rewards on offer for those that succeed. Relics has found significant success in repurposing core segments of its market offering on data and analytics, for example, to deliver society-wide benefits on sustainability. It's a good advert for the virtues and business value of responsible business. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using, and find out more on Deloitte.nl.